Hello, hello, beautiful souls, and welcome back to another empowering episode of the Awaken Your Inner Queen podcast. I'm your host, Jen, and today is a day filled with pure magic and wisdom, as I am absolutely delighted to have a very special guest joining us today, Marisa Lawton. Marisa is not only a beacon of love, light, and wisdom, but she's also a dedicated advocate of the sacred feminine. And through her coaching and guidance, she has touched the lives of numerous clients and students, helping them reconnect with their divine feminine. And in our conversation, we will explore the essence of the sacred feminine and its role in our lives as queens and kings, embracing our authentic selves and stepping into our power. We will also delve a little bit into the archetypes and the cyclical living and how important it is to understand the natural rhythms that flows through our existence. So let's get started, shall we? Welcome to the Awaken Your Inner Queen podcast. I'm your host, Jen Fanfain, and I am a spiritual and mindset coach, NLP and hypnosis practitioner, and a tarot and oracle reader. I have a burning passion with helping you awaken your inner queen and to start claiming your space in this universe unapologetically. I am so excited to share this safe, warm space with you today on our journey towards self-love and personal growth. So if you are curious about spirituality and how to incorporate that to your own self-love routine so that you can start showing yourself full confidence, then you are in the right place. So are you ready? Hi Marisa, thank you so much for jumping on the call with me today. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Yeah, so I am somebody who you would consider kind of that stereotypical boss babe or boss bitch, right? Like very much in my masculine energy for a lot of my life. Early childhood all the way through teenage and 20s lived in that very like hyper-masculine uber independent woman get shit done kind of attitude and actually found myself sick in my late 20s with adrenal fatigue which is kind of a precursor to autoimmune issues and fertility issues and all of those things and so after that kind of like healing in terms of like health journey that's when I really became familiar with the fact that I was in my masculine and my feminine was very suppressed. And since then, I've really made it a journey and a priority to bring more sacred feminine into my life in a balanced way that really reflects my unique polarity. Because I don't think anybody is 100% feminine energy or 100% masculine. It's on a scale and it's on a spectrum. So I really came into balance and found my own polarity, my own balance. And since then have really started to help other women and especially female entrepreneurs do the same, find their own balance of polarity and bring sacred feminine energy into their lives. It's amazing. So that must have been really hard to discover that way. 
Yeah, because it really was a coping mechanism. It was a success, quote unquote, success mechanism for me. You know, patriarchy is everywhere and we all are living under this presumption to some degree or another about that like productivity equals success, that money equals success. And I learned to play that game really well from a really young age. In school, it was getting the best grades and having the best attitude. And then when it transitioned into career, it was being the most productive, doing the best at work, like overworking. And so it is, it's really tricky because you're doing what society is telling you the right thing to do is, what patriarchy is telling you is the right thing to do. But you're getting further and further and further from the feminine essence, from sacred feminine energy. Do you think that's related with the sacred feminine being suppressed in society? 100%. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Like, I really like to look at history and look at facts. My older sister actually is a PhD in anthropology. And so looking at ancient civilizations through an actual historical lens, right? What have we found in burial sites with women? What have we found in ancient texts, in hieroglyphics in Egypt, like all of these things? Like, what can we actually find evidence of? And we do know for a fact that pre the rise of monotheistic religions, pre the rise of patriarchy, there were a lot of very powerful women, very powerful queens. And in the rise of patriarchy, we see the conscious suppression. Like this wasn't by accident. As Mm -hmm. patriarchy came and as men came into being the dominant power, it was very clear to them. Women gathered for causes. Women gathered for change. There's a lot of power in that. So coming in and things like, I know I'm bouncing around history, but things like witch hunts and things that took place that we have historical evidence of were really under the guise of divide and conquer. If we can keep women from gathering, if we can keep women from discussing these things, then we can keep it suppressed. So yes, 100%, that was conscious. And I think we're seeing a spiritual, collective, energetic rise of the feminine, but we're also seeing this in very practical ways. Like here in the States, we're starting to see, especially around like gun violence, we're seeing groups of women lead the charge on these things, right? It's not a lot of men who are leading the protests against the gun violence. It's the women, the mothers that are coming together and saying, we're not going to stand for this anymore. So like I said, we're seeing it energetically, spiritually in these kind of ethereal realms, but we're also seeing it very concretely, very practically happening as well. Yeah, and talking about it being transformed like more in a collective level, um, mm-hmm. how do you think sacred feminine then can support further healing? Yeah, yeah. I want to kind of mention a- another practical example, but it's going to make sense where I'm going because, okay. again, I- I'm sharing examples of the state because that's you know where I'm living and. We're obviously having tons of political unrest. We're having economic unrest. Everybody 
who's not in the States that's looking at us is like, oh my God, like, what the hell is going on there? But something else that's happening here is the cost of housing is becoming ridiculous, unbearable. It's not going to be sustainable for very much longer. And some of the things that I'm seeing happen, it's not mainstream. I, I wouldn't say it's mainstream, but I am seeing more and more instances of it happen of women saying, well, I have a room in my house. Why don't you bring your kids? Let's raise our families together. Mm-hmm. Let's come back to this collectivism because that's a feminine characteristic. As I'm talking to you and I'm talking about collective, communal, communal being the root of community, right? I feel that like in my womb space as I'm speaking, right? That is the complete opposite of individualistic like Mm -hmm. individualism and going out and like striking out on your own path and forging your own way that's very masculine energy so when we're seeing these communities come back together again in practical ways that is a collective healing because there are times in our history like i was talking about the witch hunts and things like this like Mm -hmm. and that's just one example but there are times in our history where it was illegal for women to gather and, you, yeah. and then if they did and they were caught, they were persecuted, killed, slaughtered. Like, so coming together in that communal way is yeah. healing for ancestral wounds and it's healing for future generations. So that's just like one example of how we're starting to see some of this. Yeah, I think I seen an article actually about that two friends buying a house together because they're both single mom and it didn't make sense. Like they didn't need to send the kids then to daycare or anything like that because they're helping each other. But do you think that has to do with how we're living in a much modern and fast paced environment nowadays? Because, for example, I know in the Philippines, very culture there. You're still living in one ancestral home with multiple families, you know, like Mm -hmm. a a tight-knit family. Do you think it impacts us, like, with how we went from that kind of more family-based living into this modern, fast-paced living, which, as you said, is more the masculine energy, Mm -hmm. whereas, like, the Philippines, for example, it is modern and it is fast-paced if you go into the cities. But if you go into the province where my grandparents live, they still have that, how do you call them? In Tagalog, it's called albulario. They're basically more into the earth-based medicine. Yeah. And I know you know a lot about earth medicine as well. Mm-hmm. Like, But they are really like into, okay, we don't go to the doctor and they'll tell us to take paracetamol because we have a headache. No, they tell you like to brew these kind of leaves in a boiling water and drink them as a tea. And when you're talking about like ancestral healing in this modern world, it brings me back to going to the province and visiting my grandparents and really living with whatever the nature provides you. Yeah, there's so much to explore there. Now, I want to say, like, I want to get out there. I'm not anti-modern technology. I see technology as a beautiful tool mm-hmm. um, that is, in my opinion, a tool that is being misused, right? Yeah. 
So to kind of answer your whole question, all the isms or the systems, they're all interrelated. So capitalism, colonialism, patriarchy, they're all related. So patriarchy was really the colonialism of women, right? Mm -hmm. It was, we're going to take women's ways, women's mysteries, women's magic. We're going to suppress that. But we can see a very parallel example of colonialism where whites came in to all of these indigenous communities and squashed mm -hmm. them. Women's wisdom and magic, I won't say is the same as indigenous. Like I'm not from indigenous background, so I don't want to misspeak or overstep in any way. But we do see very common similarities between divine feminine and indigenous wisdom. Like indigenous mm -hmm. cultures that I'm familiar with thought seven generations ahead. They would say, what was is my action doing today, not only for my children or my grandchildren, but seven generations grandchildren, right? That's a very communal way of living, which divine feminine very much values that community. So when we're able to step outside of patriarchy or our colonialism or the way we've been colonized, um, mm -hmm. we can see the root of some of this wisdom right? Some of these ancient traditions. And what I really believe in is how can we utilize modern conveniences? I mean, indoor plumbing and like the internet and these things, they're beautiful inventions. I don't want to live yeah. life without those. But how can we pair those with our indigenous wisdom, our ancient wisdom that existed yeah. instead of having one replace another? How could they blend together in a beautiful way? Like, I don't have the answer for that, yeah. but that's what I envision. Yeah, because I think, especially after the pandemic, I said, or during the pandemic, a lot of people like myself have awoken more. Okay, well, we're living in a very techy world at the moment, but the pandemic kind of forced me to go inwards and listen well, more to my intuition and really connect to that ancestral history that I have so do you think it all has to do with the cyclical living that the nature mm -hmm. brings upon us I again I'm like I try not to come off as like a conspiracy theorist but I do believe that there is a divine reason for everything mm -hmm. like to me it is not a coincidence that as we're seeing evidence of the divine feminine rising not a coincidence to me that the whole planet goes in pandemic and the whole planet shuts down, yeah. right? Like to me, there's an undeniable connection at a divine universal level. Mm -hmm. um, you can call it source. You can call it God. You can call it spirit. You can call it universe, whatever, right? Like I'm not about one specific dharma or another, but there's no doubt in my mind that there's mm -hmm. a divine connection between those two things, right? And again, yeah. it's my opinion, but the way that I see it is like we're on this very masculine trajectory and it's becoming more and more toxic. And by toxic, I mean like these things that we're seeing of like wars and again, in, in my country, like mass killings of people on the streets, right? Like yeah. these very toxic masculine traits of individualism, of suppression, of war, of fighting. And that's not pure sacred masculine. That's 
distorted masculine, right? But we've mm-hmm. been in this masculine space for so long that that's why it's gotten distorted. So my view of this, my spiritual view of this is we're on this masculine trajectory, getting more and more toxic. And there's this immediate halt, right? Like some of us were literally in airport when the world shut down, quote unquote, like it's an immediate halt to life as we knew it to say, hey, I am forcing you to Mm -hmm. sit with yourself. I'm forcing you to stop for a moment. And for some of us, that moment was a couple of weeks, depending on where you lived. For some of us, that moment was several months, years, however long that shutdown, quote unquote, was. That was an external force stopping this trajectory. And now, you know, where I live, it's safe to say everything's right back open and stuff. But and a lot of people went right back to the way the world was. But there's this subset of us that had this awakening or another awakening during this time. And we may be reemerging. We're not reemerging to life as it was, right? We're making conscious changes. We're making conscious observations. And I think that that's the feminine, speaking through those of us who are, you know, ready to hear. I think you're right in that. Just speaking for myself and how I seen it, I was literally just running around. I was working. And in the weekends, I was traveling. I never really stopped. I had tarot cards. Mm-hmm. I knew about meditations and all of these right. things, but I never really, really sat down, emerged into my cards, for example. I knew I was interested in those things, but I wasn't really ready, I guess, to dive deep into it. And that moment of just the realization at that time, I was living in Ireland and I wasn't able to travel for more than two kilometers from my apartment then. And that was like a big awakening for me. resonates with me a lot because I consider myself somebody who's been, quote unquote, awake, spiritually aware, whatever, Mm. probably since the time I was born. Like I've always had these questions. I've always seen the world a different way, interacted with my world a different way. Yeah, But there are definitely times in my life, like initiations to different levels of spirituality or different, you know, times of who I was going to be in that moment. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think the pandemic was an initiation for everybody. Like I said, some people took, you know, acted like nothing happened or they didn't wake up or whatever. Right. Not to be judgmental of them. But those of us who went through the initiation and decided to pick it up and honor it. You know, that that's very true for me. I used to have altars, but I didn't even really know they were altars. Like, I just thought they were collections of things that were special to me. Right. But no, they were altars. They were absolutely spiritually significant. I just wasn't interacting with them in that way. So Mm -hmm. probably right, like right around the same time as you, like really deepened my practice and said, basically, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to stop talking about this. And I'm going to actually walk the walk. And that was a lot of questions all at one time. But like, you know, if I believe in this, and I would say I believed in tarot cards, I believed in crystals, like all these tools and these spiritual significances. And like, I 100% believed in them, but I wasn't using, I didn't pick up my crystal and sit with it, or I didn't pick up my cards and use them in that way. Right. So there's definitely a deepening into my practice, actual, I don't like the word habit, but like an actual use of these things instead of just a collection of these things. I think more like 
he just uses them more with intent now mm-hmm. versus before it was like okay i just bought them because they were pretty or right uh, something like that you know yeah and for me it was like oh i i believe in tarot wholeheartedly and this deck is really pretty and it's speaking to me and i would bring it home and I would shuffle it a couple of times and maybe do a couple of readings from it. And then I would put it to the side. Like it didn't become. It was something I did. It wasn't who I was. I guess that's the yeah. best way to say it. And since my awakening, my my most recent awakening in 2020, since this most recent initiation, I would say this is who I am now. You yeah. know, it's just something I do or something I play around in. Like this is who I am now. Definitely. Yeah. But I, I think also I wouldn't even really talk about it in public. As you said, it wasn't who you associated yourself with. Mm-hmm. It was just something that you did for yourself or maybe like for your close friends or family. Right. That, that right. was it. Um, even down to like crystals or meditation mm-hmm. or any of those spiritual practices or tools that we can actually use to help us grow in our personal life but also on a spiritual level yeah going back to something that you said earlier about like the indigenous wisdom and Mm -hmm. and these things like my grandmother is actually passing as we're talking we're expecting her to go at any time and it's it's been something that we've been aware of it's not shocking for us And, and in some cases like a few of us are like you know, it's time. She hasn't had much of a quality of life these last few years. So we're actually trying to see it more as like a blessing and something that's welcome, you know? Yeah. And I've just been reflecting on her the last couple of days. And she was born in 1927. And I don't know the exact date of her mother's birth. We're very fortunate. This grandmother that I'm actually speaking about was very into genealogy. She has her family traced back to the 1400s. Her husband's family traced back quite far as well. And she even did my dad's side of the family. Like my parents divorced, but she still did my dad's side of the family, which I thought was really cool of her, just like a passion and a hobby. Great, yeah. So she had a very deep connection to her ancestors, at least from an intellectual standpoint. Yeah. But she's the first one of my line that I know of that didn't have like a garden, right? That that really grew up in this modern industrialized way, mm-hmm. right? And we can really trace a lot of this back to the industrial revolution that took place across Europe and North America right around the turn of the century to the 1900s. People were leaving their land in droves and moving to these cities. And that is a time where so much wisdom has been lost. And that's just something that I'm like reflecting on right now since it's really present for me in my life at the moment. But it hasn't been that long. Like this is my grandmother. Yeah, it's so weird to think about. And a lot of us, even though we feel very disconnected from our wisdom a lot of us it's not that far it's like a hundred years you know there's a way that we can dig deeper ask our elders some questions and see if we can get some answers that we might be able to feel closer to our wisdom closer to our magic and our medicine than we even realize you know we feel like oh talking again about the the witch trials i keep going back to that but like Thinking, oh, that was 500, 600 years ago. And then thinking of, you know, Cleopatra died thousands of years ago. But 
actually, for at least in my family, it was a hundred years ago where we stopped farming. It was a hundred years ago where we lost touch with the land. You know, so we can get it. Yeah, I think that something about that, like as you're talking about your grandma and how recent that is for you. My grandma only passed away, I think, 2021. And she was the last one in my line of family that actually lived, like from my dad's side, lived on a province in the Philippines, right? Like I still have my grandparents from my mom's side, but they will be the last one. Except for one sister. Yeah. So even in those cultures and in those families, you can see that it's also slowly kind of dying in that sense. And with the knowledge that you have from your grandma, Mm -hmm. in that case also the ancestral knowledge that you have, do you think like that could help you bring even more of that sacred feminine into your family. I feel like that is my work in the world, like with a capital W, like my purpose, my dharma, whatever you want to call it. I kind of see it as three things. Remembering, reconnecting, and reclaiming, right? So I think there's a lot of wisdom for us to remember back to ancient times. Like there's absolutely so much wisdom there. But like I'm saying, there's wisdom that's, only a hundred years old. And some of us are fortunate enough to have elders in our families, great aunts, grandmothers. Some of us might even have great grandmothers. And it's become, I wouldn't say taboo, but like not normal to talk about those things. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think some of the easiest things for us to do that are fortunate enough to still have connections with our elders is just to have conversation, just trying to remember. I'll talk to so many of my friends And this might be like an American thing, but they don't even know like their grandparents. Maybe they might know their grandparents' names, but they don't know their great grandparents' names. You know, they don't know. Yes, I'm American, but I'm I'm Polish. I'm German. I'm Italian and I'm Irish. That's my ethnic background. So very European. But I also know, I know the names of those people who decided to immigrate or emigrate. I know those things. And there's a lot of my friends who don't even have that information. So I think that that's something that is easy for us to do is to ask those questions. And elders want to tell their stories, you know? So I think that's a way that we can start remembering. And then, of course, we can go back and back and back further, further, further. But there's a remembering that can happen recently, too. You know, and then reconnecting, right? It's it wouldn't be right for me to see a Filipino tradition and be like, oh, I think that's beautiful. I want to start doing that. There's a way to appreciate without appropriating, right? Yeah. So I think it's about reconnecting with your lineage. Like I would personally reconnect with, you know, Germanic tribes and Celtic tribes because that's my lineage, right? Yeah. So reconnecting with what your actual magic is, with what your actual wisdom is, instead of taking from others. Kind of going back to the indigenous cultures, a lot of us, and I would say, I don't want to speak for all white people, but I would say like a lot of us who are white, that's the only imagery we have of anything spiritual is Native Americans or is indigenous cultures. Yeah. Because 
that colonization took place more recently in, in our history, at least 150, 200 years ago, mm-hmm. whereas Celtic tribes or Germanic peoples were colonized by the Roman Empire thousands of years ago. Yeah. Right. More accessible in a way for us to reach out to these cultures that have more recent examples and things. Yeah. But again, that's where I say it's about appreciation without appropriation. You know, so in that, in that reconnecting, connect to your wisdom, connect to your yeah. lineage. And do you think that we are drawn to the cultures of where our ancestors are from? Again, these are all my opinions and things, but I yeah. do think that there's cellular memory, right? There's a study of science, again, because I'm all about the facts, right? There's a study of science that's called epigenetics. And this is not very ethical, but they've done these studies on animals and mice. So if this is going to be triggering, like just fast forward a little bit. But like they will do like electric shocks on female mice. And then we see that when those mice have babies that the babies already avoid the place where the electric shock happened. Like if they they set up like a current on this side of the cage, let's say. And then these mice, when they go to that side of the cage, they get shocked. Well, when these mice have babies, their babies already know to avoid that side of the cage. And they've seen this not only in the babies of those mice, but in the grandchildren of those mice and several generations on where those mice will avoid this side of the cage, even though they themselves never got shocked, right? So this is the study of epigenetics that says our cells, our DNA has memory. It doesn't have to happen to us for it to be in our blood, for it to be in our bones, for it to be in our bodies, right? So I definitely believe that. There's also, as you travel around, like, I believe we also have connections to the land, right? And so I have spent the last eight years of my life on the East Coast of America, but I'm from the West Coast. And I feel a very significant difference in my body when I'm in one place or the other. Like my body knows when it's on its homeland versus Mm -hmm. when it's not. And so that can also be cellular memory. It can come from our ancestors. We could get into the talk of like past lives and things like that. I don't go so far there, but some people will say that even like your past lives have memory and things like that, right? So you might have a connection to a place or a a people or a way of life that you can't even find in your family. You don't know why you're drawn to it, but there may be some sort of memory there, like spiritual memory that is a reason why you're tied to it. No, I definitely believe in the DNA one that you mm-hmm. were talking about because yeah. we see that in our limiting beliefs and mm-hmm. our way of just doing. And do you then think, because obviously like we've all started in a way from our ancestor and with the earth medicine and everything, like, mm-hmm. you think it has to do like with how do I phrase this? What I want to ask you about is the archetypes of the mm-hmm. goddesses that we see and the symbols that they associate with. Obviously, different people have different ancestors, but yeah. they all connect to one source. And right, 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 right. Be that like one god, goddess, or mm-hmm. uh, another. Yeah. 
we see this in modern quote unquote religions. Like when you look at Christianity and you look at Islam and you look at, you know, Buddhism and all of these things, really there's, there's kind of the Western theology and then there's Eastern theology. And when you take away the name of like Jesus Christ and Muhammad and you take those things away and you look at just the feelings and the emotions of these stories or the parables or the lessons of these stories, they're very much the same. It's not very similar. Like they might not be exactly the same, but right, the principles and the concepts, we peel back like the my God's better than your God and we peel all that back. Like the lessons are very, very similar. So in the feminine space, there's a lot of people who talk about goddesses, right? There's like dark goddess Kali, who is like the destroyer, definitely coming from like a Hindu, Southern, South Asian kind of background, right? Mm -hmm. But we also see destructive goddesses in Greek goddesses and in Celtic goddesses and in American goddesses, right? North and South America, right? So that's when we start looking at the the archetype, right? Peel Mm -hmm. away the names, peel away the ethnic background, and we start to see like, oh, well, this story is the same. This is a woman who is experiencing divine rage. And this rage triggers the death and rebirth cycle, right? Mm-hmm. So when we start to look at just the archetype, I think that's a more unifying way to think about divine feminine. Because again, then we're not bringing in different people's preferred religions, Uh, We're also not bringing in people's ethnic backgrounds. And I mean that in a good way. That doesn't sound great because I'm not saying like, oh, you know, deny your lineage. But this is a way that we can study and we can work with energy without that appropriation, right? Mm -hmm. I absolutely encourage everybody, especially like when people join my program Rooted, I'm saying, you know, here's my side from, you know, a Euro background. But if you're indigenous, explore this avenue in your culture, right? So I definitely think we should be leaning into our lineages. But when we go up to the archetypal level, it gives us all a universal language that we can speak from. And then like just running with dark goddess, because that's what I brought up, like then we can go into our cultures and say, oh, where's the dark goddess in the Filipino culture? Where's the dark goddess in the Central American indigenous cultures or mm-hmm. whatever in the Easter Asian cultures, how does this show up in my lineage, right? So that's yeah. what I like about the archetypes that gives us all a place to be on equal footing. Without naming like any mm-hmm. religion or whatever exactly. people believe in. Right, right, right. Like, you know, one that that I'm working with a lot with my students this month in the month of May is mother, right? The mother archetype. And so an example of this would be like in Christianity and Catholicism, Mother Mary, right, would be an example of mother energy. But if I'm only talking about Mother Mary, then a lot of the people who don't identify with that faith are going to tune out or they're going to not be able to identify. Whereas when I just talk about the mother energy, what does it mean to have mother energy? Unconditional love with boundaries. Like, what does that mean? That unites all of us. 
right? And then we can take that and go back to our particular faiths or our particular lineages or backgrounds or whatever. And we can say, oh, where does this show up for me in my truth, right? Yeah. And so talking about mother energy, so the sacred feminine. Yeah. How do we then balance that with the masculine energy? Yeah. Okay. So that's a great topic because, you know, bringing in an Eastern Asian symbol, I think is really helpful here. Again, not trying to appropriate, but just appreciate when we look at the yin yang. Mm -hmm. It's really great visual example. So we have like kind of the white sliver, but it has a black dot in it. And we have the black sliver, but it has a white dot in it. Right. So this is to say that masculine and feminine energy are not gendered, right? All men are not 100% masculine energy and all women are not 100% feminine energy. It doesn't work that way, right? This Mm -hmm. is kind of what I was talking about in the beginning where there is a um, a balance and somebody's balance might be 50-50. Somebody's balance might be 70-30, right? Even though I teach feminine energy and I'm embodying this and this is my work in the world, I probably would say there are days where I'm definitely like, 70% in my masculine and 30% in my feminine, right? Like that feels like right balance for me on that particular day. There's days you just got to get stuff done, right? Yeah. So when we think about masculine, we see this symbolized with phallic symbols for sure, like pyramids or arrows or points, because it is directive and it is focused and it is pointing, right? So again, there's times where maybe I need to execute on something. And so I need to to harness a masculine determination, a masculine focus, pointed energy on a thing, right? The feminine energy is represented by a womb or a chalice or anything, something that receives. Yeah. Right? And that's why the two energies fit together. Again, this doesn't have to be a man and a woman. It's an energetic fit, right? So when you're in your feminine energy you're in receive mode and that's not lazy that's something that patriarchy will tell you that's another way that they suppressed feminine is oh you're being lazy when you're receiving when you're resting when you're not actively producing with that pointed energy right mm-hmm. so that's the easiest kind of breaking it down to basic are you focused and are you pursuing something or are you open and are you receiving something right and so that's masculine and feminine i've heard before about like following the moon for cyclical mm-hmm. living so yeah does that have to do with the masculine and the feminine energy as well yeah yes and no so being on a masculine path would be a straight think of it mm-hmm. like a straight line Right. But when you're on a feminine path, it's not a circle, it's a spiral. Mm-hmm. So you might find yourself at a similar point, but you're always like evolving. Mm-hmm. Right. So these cycles on the feminine path are basically bringing you back to the same points over and over again, providing you with the opportunity to grow and evolve and expand. Right. So you can be on a feminine path. But call upon your masculine energy when you need it. You can also be on a masculine path and call upon your feminine energy when you need it. So they're kind of two separate paths. 
but the energies can crisscross. Because like you mentioned with the archetypes, let's say you're pursuing a feminine path. You really want to be somebody who is in tune with the earth, in tune with cycles. You're somebody who is kind of on a healing journey and is willing to go through multiple iterations, multiple initiations, right? That would be somebody on the feminine path. Well, there's times where you might want your, we've mentioned two of them. We've mentioned mother and dark Mm -hmm. goddess, right? Mother is unconditional love. Dark goddess is burning shit down, right? So they're two different energetic purposes or energetic intentions. But they're both still on the feminine path. They're both still for your cyclical evolution. So you mentioned the moon. That's one iteration, one external representation of these internal spiritual cycles. Right? We can see it in the moon. We can see it in winter, spring, summer, and fall. We can see it in the way a caterpillar goes into a chrysalis and then dissolves into goo and then turns into a butterfly. Like these cycles, it's the same cycle and we can recognize it in many different external versions. It's as, you know, as above, so below, as within, so without. So nature is just showing us visually and externally what we're actually going through internally. Our bodies, if you're a bleeding woman, our bodies do the same cycle, right? We bleed and then our follicles grow and then we ovulate and then our follicles shrink back down, right? So we're having the same cycles internally in our womb spaces, in our heart spaces, and then we can see them externally represented to us, mirrored back to us, again, universally, divinely orchestrated. That sounds really interesting, actually, like to dive deeper into that. So if someone who has never heard of sacred feminine, but they are listening to this and they want to start diving into it, what's the best way to start? Yeah. The first phase that I walk all my students through is called rewilding. You also might hear this is called deconstructing, especially if you're in like a faith or a religious space, they often call it deconstructing. Mm-hmm your religion or deconstructing your faith. I like to think of it as rewilding because it's a return to the earth. It's a return to these cyclical ways that we're talking about. It's kind of saying, I don't want to be part of this machine that has been built for me, this society machine, the way that it functions. I want to step out of this and I want to examine who I am outside of this. Now, it's really kind of an a insight place. You're really just taking a look and examining. This is the system that I live in. This is who I truly feel like I am. How do those things fit? How do they not fit? And where do I fall into place? So it starts with rewilding. It starts with this examination process. There's so many things that you can rewild. I started with my food because how I mentioned I got sick. One of the things that I realized was I was just eating so much terrible food, which is everywhere here in the U.S., right? Almost all of our food is terrible, right? It takes a conscious choice not to eat that way instead of to eat healthy, right? Or I don't even want to say healthy. I want to say to eat nourishing food, food that actually nourishes you. 
it takes effort here. It, it, it has to be a conscious choice here. And so that's where I started. A lot of women I know are rewilding like their birth control because they've been told, oh, you have to artificially simulate your hormones instead of actually learn to live with your cycle, embrace your cycle, and naturally prevent pregnancy if that's not what you want. So I know a lot of women are rewilding that. Other women that I see, especially when they become moms, they're rewilding from like the school system. I don't want my kid in a school where they sit for seven, eight hours a day, don't have recess or playtime. Like, again, I'm using American examples, which makes it sound so great, doesn't it? But a lot of the a lot of moms rewild from the school system. So all of these systems, you can see how you want to participate in them or not. Right. And not everybody's going to go live and be a hermit in the woods. Some of us would love that, but it doesn't have to be that drastic or to that extreme to be able to make these conscious choices, to consciously look at how things really work and to decide if you want them in your life or if you don't. So I think that's the first step. Yeah, like I I just recently actually dove deep into just learning more about the cyclical saying of bleeding, right? Because uh-huh. like you said, like many of your clients, like I've been on birth control for so long. And you just don't realize because you go to the doctor, you ask like, hey, my, my period is irregular. For me, at least that was that. And they just say like, hey, uh-huh. go on birth control. And that's it. And now that we're actually ready, you're like, okay, well, it's been a year. It's been two years. And it's still irregular. What's happening? Uh-huh. And that's uh-huh. when... I'm kind of seeing more and more of that the sacred feminine that you're saying in my own journey. But yep. it takes consciously, like the way I see it, it should be one of the first things that they teach you as a woman in school. But no. I literally thought, based on American sex education, that I could get pregnant every single day because they're, they were so like abstinent only. And then my husband and I are trying to have kids and I actually find out how my body works in, in my late 20s. Yeah, exactly. Like, I should have known how my body works from the time I was 11 years old. I should have known these things. Exactly. And so that's kind of what I was talking about, about like reclaiming. So there's the remembering, there's the reconnecting. Reclaiming is what we're talking about here. Like taking it back, taking ownership of this. And one way to do that, we're talking about menstruation and stuff, but to say, to advocate for yourself and say, actually, no, I don't want birth control. I want you to teach me about more natural rhythm or more natural methods. And if the doctors, well, I don't do that, then going and finding a doctor who will. And that part is hard. It's hard to advocate against the system, right? So we, we examine the system, we reconnect with what's true to us, and then we start living that way. And that, I think, is like the hard part. I have two young daughters, and the way that I want to reclaim is to teach them properly from the beginning. Yeah, and I think like the world is now just starting to realize that, or at least for me, I started opening up more. And when you're in the topic of that, you're researching, you see that there's a lot more people that are actually looking for the same thing. We've been conditioned 
going back to the patriarchy, the colonialism, all of that, we've been conditioned not to talk about these things because they know that women divided are easier to control. The second women start sharing their stories, the second that we start acting in accordance with sacred feminine, communally coming together, sharing, lifting each other up instead of keeping each other at arm's length, right? The second we do that, our biggest power. Yeah. It's so powerful. And so they've made it shameful to have these kind of conversations. They've made it illegal to have these conversations. At different points in our history, there's been different ways that they have kept us from doing these things. And I just love that I see more and more people actually talking about this. You know, and mm-hmm. um, you're talking loudly about it and you're researching more and educating more people. And I think that's the most important thing right now. Yeah, I think everyone, myself included, we're looking for the truth in this. And I'm not trying to say like, I'm the best. Like, that's what I mean. But like, there's some misinformation out there as well. There's some people that I follow online that are teaching masculine and feminine, quote unquote. But what they're really doing is propping up the patriarchy. They're saying to be in your feminine means to be soft. And yes, we receive in our feminine, but we don't have to be soft. We don't have to take anybody's crap. Like we don't have to not have boundaries. We don't have to serve our men because we're soft and we're radiant. So as you're diving into this, just use your discernment. Is this true for me? Because there are a lot of people who are out there being loud right now. And some of it will serve you and some of it won't. So just got to use your own sense of seeing if it's true for you or not. With that being said, do you think if one is to embrace sacred femininity, Mm -hmm. how do you think that influences their relationships with their partner, with their family, Mm -hmm. with anyone in their circle? Yeah, it's going to depend on how awake your partner and your family are. Because if they're still operating where patriarchy is the right way and productivity is the right Mm -hmm. way and these things, it's going to be a little bit more difficult, you know. But if you're with partners who are open to powerful women, if you're with, if your family supports powerful women or empowers you to be a strong, I don't even like the word strong. I like powerful because there is power in stepping back, right? So it doesn't always have to be like in your face strong. So if your family is in support of powerful women, of intentional, integral women, it's going to be easier for you. Definitely, yeah. So I just want to ask, I know there's a lot of misconceptions, like you said already, about like, oh, feminine needs to be soft and whatnot. Is there any other one that you can debunk at this point, like that you can think of immediately? Like, oh, this is a very common misconception. Yeah. Yes. I think like the Madonna whore complex, either you are Mother Mary or you're Mm -hmm. a slut. Right. And that's that's it. And mother archetype is absolutely an archetype. So is seductress. Our sexual and I want to say sexual and sensual because seduction is not just about Mm -hmm. sex. It's about our senses as well. But that is incredibly 
powerful. And there are some women who that is their natural magic. They are sexy as hell. And that is so cool. There's other women who that's not their magic power and that's okay, right? But there is so much between those two. That's what, again, the patriarchy has painted out. Either you're a good girl or you're a slut. Either you're a good girl or the wife kind or you're the whore kind, right? And so that's something that has definitely been painted for women that's just not true. You can be both of those things at different times. And they're both powerful. (laughs) I just had this conversation with someone else earlier. Like she started embracing her sexuality and sensuality. And that gave so much power. So I love that you just brought that out. Yeah. I think the archetypes fall into four different categories. No surprise. Four seasons, four moon phases. Like this is a very sacred feminine number. But there are the heart archetypes or the love-centered archetypes. That's going to be your maiden, your mother, and your creatrix. There are power archetypes that are more like associated with the solar plexus. And they're associated with liberation. And that's going to be your wild woman, your queen, and your warrior. Our womb-associated, so shadow-associated archetypes are going to be our seductress our witch, and our dark goddess, and then our root-associated archetypes, which is healing and inner work, inner healing, is going to be your medicine woman, your crone, and your high priestess. And this is just categorically because we know that there's a million different infinite archetypes and infinite energies, but these are ways that we as humans, having a human experience, can understand this. So while we're saying like, oh, there's there's Madonna and there's horror, well, there's everything in between as well. Exactly. Yeah. I can talk to you forever about this topic. Like there's yeah. it's so broad. But as I said, I do appreciate your time. Just one more thing. Are there any books, resources, or practices you would recommend for someone who is interested in learning more about the sacred feminine? Yeah, the, somebody who I really love is Danielle Dulsky, D-U-L-S-K-Y. Her books are written, it's like poetry and academics come together. Like you're absolutely learning, but her language is just so beautiful and so rich. So I really, really recommend her. And then if anybody is really interested in working on this remembering, reconnecting, and reclaiming, That's what I do inside of my program, Rooted. So I'd be happy to have anybody who's interested come check that out. You can follow me over at Rooted Feminine with an underscore at the end. That's on Instagram. And then on my website, rootedfeminine.com slash quiz, there is a quiz that helps you see where are you in this process, in this rewilding process, in this reclamation process, in this remembering process. So the quiz helps you see what season of your feminine path that you're on amazing that was such an interesting topic and thank you so much for your time yeah anytime thank you for tuning in to another episode of awaken your inner queen podcast if you enjoyed this episode be sure to subscribe leave a review and share it with other queens who could benefit from our empowering discussions together we'll continue to awaken our inner queens and create life filled with self-love growth and fulfillment stay connected with us on social media and remember you have the power to unleash your greatness keep embracing your inner queen